And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, babe Psalm with good I'm harmonies today. Oh, listen to that. Well, Peter, Paul, and Mary came up with harmonies. What's unique about this folk 60s trio is by themselves, they are merely passable folk crooners, quoting the New York Times there. But together, their singular harmonic blend weaves magic. And in 1963, they performed If I Had a Hammer and Blowing in the Wind at the August 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. You might know it as the march where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. And many other harmony songs came through. Tom says Because by the Beatles' Great Harmonies. Dominic in Christchurch says Superstar by the Carpenters. And another one here, the Howard Morrison Quartet with a gospel song called The Virgin Mary Had a Baby Boy. But gosh, Jenny, just that tight weave of harmonies here. It's beautiful, isn't it? It is beautiful. I have to confess, I don't think I've heard this song before, Wallace. I like to pride myself on my music, but yeah. I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't heard this one, but it is rather gorgeous, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a Bob Dylan song. it's a Bob Dylan song, isn't it, David Cunliffe? Wow, you got me yeah, there, no, but it's yeah. absolutely beautiful. Yeah, no, very good. So thank you for your um, recommendations on really, really um, top-notch harmonic songs. We might have another one uh, on Friday. And, yeah, a really big response uh, regarding, uh, as you can imagine, dogs on beaches. Uh, they're just rolling through now. Uh, and what are some of them here? Uh, let's have a look. Uh, but people don't stick to the leash rules. I tell people just about every time I go to Princess Bay that dogs are not allowed. The rule there is total ban leash or no leash, beaches in Wellington are crowded after work. Teresa says, David, dogs need to run. My dogs see an expansive beach and their tails wag and off they run. It's beautiful watch. Try it sometime. Um, access to Obey in winter is fine for dogs off leash. In summer, it's fine to have dogs before nine. Evenings could be after nine as it's dark and then the picnickers have gone home. So thank you very much for your responses uh, there on the panel. Well, November the 5th is just round the corner. Sunday, which for many reasons means only one thing, Guy Fawkes, and a 400-year-old tradition of lighting fireworks. But it seems the tide is really turning on what used to be a favourite New Zealand pastime. Or so suggests a recent survey from 
AA Insurance with us to discuss is Tom Bartlett, the head of home claims from AA Insurance. Good to Tom. Afternoon, Wallace. How are you? Good. So what's going on uh, with regard to private fireworks? Do we love them? Do we hate them? Yeah, so interestingly, in a recent survey, three quarters of Kiwis told us that they actually would like backyard fireworks banned. So it sounds from that bit of information that they, uh, they're against backyard fireworks at the moment. I was quite amazed, Tom. We did a survey, and I, I said then it's the only time we'd talk about it, but we are talking briefly about it this afternoon. We did a snap panel poll, and actually mm. 90% of people said they would support a private fireworks ban. I was shocked. Uh, I was like, mm, does that mean that panellists are a, a bunch of, bunch of <laughs> grinches? Um, yeah. They're a bunch of curmudgeons, or perhaps they are animal lovers, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I think that the key thing, what we got from the survey, was probably it's how we use fireworks and how it's safe and responsible and considerate of others. So I, I've got a dog myself, and my dogs are one of those ones that carols under the table during fireworks uh-huh. displays. And so I'm all for enjoying fireworks, certainly the ones that I run publicly and people can attend, but I think it's more so the use of fireworks in people's backyards um, at all hours of the evening and for many days in a row that probably really frustrate Kiwis is what's kind of coming through in the survey. Yeah, that's the thing that gets me, Jenny. The, the night's okay. You know, little, my little Yorkshire Terrier banjo, he can endure one night. But when it goes on and on and on, shocker. Yeah, sure is. I, I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer, but um, look, I, I can, I've never bought fireworks in my life. I've never bought them for my kids. We've gone to fireworks displays when they were little and I mean Wellington used to have some amazing ones. I don't know if they still do there on on the harbour but um, they used to when I was living in Wellington with my children were little Um, and I just I haven't gone there. One, because of the animals but also I just sort of think that sort of the the safety thing. I've got a brother that's been badly burnt, not through fireworks but he's got third degree burns and so I've always been a really bit cautious about that sort of stuff so um, I'm not surprised and I personally think they should be banned and you know if we can have public displays and they're and they're well supervised and safe that's a that's a really great alternative but if we wrap around the safety if you're a responsible parent and you buy a 15 dollar pack of your roman candles your golden candles or whatever they're called and you light them responsibly um isn't it just a wonderful private family thing aren't haven't you hasn't your family missed out because of you don't think. Well, I don't know. You'll need to ask them. We have lots of fun in our family home that invo- involves music and dancing and partying. So we haven't needed fireworks, I have to say. All right. Tom? Yeah, I think you probably hit the nail on the head there, Wallace, just in terms of um, not Jenny not having fun, but just in terms of that safe and responsible use. So as a child, we grew up with fireworks, but it's about using them appropriately, making sure that it's safe to do so and make sure you're not causing a nuisance to everybody else. And I think what the survey probably points to is that maybe a few too many people are maybe taking some of those tips on board and being a bit responsible of how they're using them. Where do you stand on this, David? Because this has been a societal issue for some years now. And in fact, in parts of Australia, they actually are banned. You can't do what we do here. Where do you lie on this? 
Well, if I take the straw poll of the animal population at our house, that's four chickens, two cats, and Doug the dog, uh, they'd be quite happy to be without crackers. And when I think about my own childhood, I might just have lit a few and thrown them at my brother, which probably wasn't really very cool in hindsight. The Tom, um, the Tom Thumbs. Yep, yeah. yep. And then there was the double happies. And then the double there was happies? called Thunderbangers, which oh. to a little kid looked like sticks of dynamite and could have done a lot of damage. So, um, yeah, no, I don't think you can get those anymore. Hey, why can't we have Roman candles and Roman sandals and not have Thunderbangers? Why, why can't we just say, hey, look, there are some that are more dangerous than others. Not too many people get burnt to death with Roman candles, but it's the crackers that annoy mm. the pets and it's the crackers that blow fingers off. Fair point, Tom. There's a middle ground. It, absolutely. I think and it comes back to um, that responsible use, right? And so how do we educate and ensure people are using them correctly and safely and yeah, not going overboard on some of those fireworks that can cause significant injury or damage to people's property or, or frustrate and annoy people's pets, which I think uh, is quite common over the, the next week or two around the firework time. So, um, what? Uh, by the way, how much? Can I ask you how much uh, AA is paying out every year for fireworks-related damage? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, not much at all. So, we don't actually see really many fireworks um, claims as a result. What we do see is a, is an increase, or we have seen an increase in fire-related claims, which some of those are linked to people having bonfires and having fire pits outside, and so. Um, we do see that a bit, and so again, it's probably a good time of year to to tell people to be safe and responsible when using outdoor fires and making sure they're not left unattended because they can cause serious damage. Yeah. So fireworks themselves, not much. Large fires and, and fires that um, cause significant damage. Over last year alone, we saw over $15 million worth of claims um, for fire-related yeah. damage. So it's quite a significant impact to, um, to our customers, and obviously the, the issue of dealing with that not necessarily just the cost, but the, the psychological and the, the annoyance and disturbance of having one of those large fires is, is really significant to a lot of people. So um, hopefully if they can be a bit more educated and safe on how we do that stuff, including fireworks, we're hoping that's a good outcome for everybody. Very good. Uh, yeah, someone says fireworks started in our neighbourhood at 3pm today. So much for the cost of living crisis here, says Marion Whangarei. Uh, very good, Tom. Hi, by the way, before you go, what's your advice for people then who are keen to set them off? I think the first advice would be ideally, if you want to enjoy the fireworks, um, try and find a local professional run show that's safe um, and secure and well looked after. If you do want to use them at home, I think it's just those couple of key things around making sure you're in open space making sure your family and friends are at a safe distance. Weather's always an important one, making sure that it's not too windy um, and so you know where exactly where they're going to go. And finally, just being considerate um, around your neighbours and other people, especially with young children and animals, to make sure that you're sending them off at a reasonable hour and not for days and days on end. Good on you, Tom. Thanks for being with us. That's Tom Butler there from uh, AA Insurance about uh, fireworks. Yeah, you ask any 60-something male, and I'll bet they'll tell you all sorts of hair-raising stories about fireworks. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Eh? They're probably uh, David kind of banned for a reason. Eh? Those, gosh, yet, those... yet, yet another black mark uh, against my, my, my personal history here. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that because... 
there will be thousands of people resonating with their Tom Thumb stories or their double happy stories, right? <laughs> you know, I used to collect them. Uh, I, I used to, they used to be treasured to me. So, yeah, uh, not anymore. And, uh, no, as Jenny says, very happy to go to a local uh, public fireworks display. It's 16 to 5. You are on the panel, uh, NZ National. Lovely, uh, as always, to have your company. Uh, very shortly, we're going back to Heritage. But to this uh, interesting topic, this one, Appliance longevity. Now, we have, of course, discussed this before. We've all had that Electrolux that worked for 30 years. We've all had the Sunbeam mixer that's been going for 30 years, actually still going. It seems like a golden era in appliances. But the issue is likely to get worse as more appliances use software. And with that, a whole new set of IP and software issues. With us is Alex Sims, Associate Professor in Commercial Law at the University of Auckland and is a member of the Right to Repair Coalition. Alex, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Now, we have raised the Right to Repair fairly often. I find it quite interesting, actually, the, the Right to Repair, but not so much pertaining to software. And you raised the issue of what's known as software Logs. Never heard of it. Can you explain? Well, they're not a new issue at all. This has been going on for um, years. So um, there's various different types. I mean, one of them that's, that people are using, especially uh, for printers, is having a pre-programmed life for the printer. And once it reaches that, it will switch off and it will not work unless you take it to an authorised um, repairer. So to get it serviced. And that's like, it's, it's called bricking. So there's nothing you can do about it. Um, other ones, for example, you need to if you need to do a, a repair for for a device. Sometimes you've got to get in, and you know, there might be a password that comes up. And if you know that password or hack into it, that is technically copyright infringement in New Zealand. And what's even worse is if you are doing it in the course of business. So, say you're an independent repairer doing it for somebody, yeah. that's a criminal offence up to five years in prison and a hundred fifty thousand dollar fine for doing that. Well, that would come as a surprise to many listening to this. You said you've even seen chainsaws with embedded software. Uh, let's open to the panel. Jenny, were you aware of this? No, I wasn't aware of it at all. And it's quite frightening. And I guess it just um, it just reinforces that kind of world we live in where everything is kind of disposable and, that, and the need to keep consuming and purchasing new things because you can't repair and fix things yourselves. And as, as you said at the beginning, Wallace, you know, I can mm. remember growing up, my mother had one vacuum cleaner. It probably lasted her 35 years. Yeah, I know the but, one. <laughs> you know the one. Yeah. And, um, and, and those days are kind of over, aren't they? And we just sort of live in this completely disposable world now where you end up with drawers and drawers full of cords and, and things with broken gadgets that you can't fix and you have to end up replacing. It's pretty sad. Stay there, uh, Alex. Bring in um, David. This really gets my goat. I'm really on Alex's side with this. The idea that to boost the profits of a manufacturer, they deliberately munt their stuff using software locks uh, and other forms of planned obsolescence just gets my goat. And I bet you that the pendulum really swings against this as we move from an era of liberalising everything to an era where we're more worried about resilience and supply chains. Why would you have to have more vacuum cleaners shipped halfway around the world because somebody wanted to make more profit 
hoping to sell you a second one when your first one was probably perfectly good. It, it's, it's abusive of consumers and the cost of living crisis, and there needs to be law reform. Strongly put there, Alex. <laughs> I, no, I, I, I totally agree. And this is not a new issue. So in Europe, it's been going on. There's a bit in Australia. And we are really behind in New Zealand. We haven't done anything. Yeah, and the consumers and the planet is paying the price for it. Can I ask, though, you know, this has now come to software and intellectual property. These are big companies, and these that property, that, that the IP sits with them. They have spent years designing these products that we all use. They might say, hang on, we're entitled to use software locks, else others will steal our property. But they're not copying. All they're doing is to get it to actually repair it. So they're actually, it's, it's abusive uh, to do that. And in fact, in Canada, they're passing a law to actually make that non-infringing. In the States, certain bits are made non-infringing. Because you have something, you've bought something, and you're being told, even though you own it, you bought it, that you cannot repair it. Gosh, yeah, a question here. Uh, go, you go, Jenny. I was just going to ask Alex, so what's the solution here? What, what, what should we be doing here? Because it sounds um, big to me. Yeah, it is big. I've written a whole big article in the conversation. You can link to it. And all I did for this one bit was highlight the most egregious things. So a whole range of laws need to be changed to, to, for us to have a right to repair. But also it's a bit, bit, bit misleading. Well, not misleading, but in the, you know, I was asked, provide a definition and we'll like there is no definition it means a whole lot of different things it can be redesign of products it can be making information available can be maintenance a whole range of things but they all impact on it's almost like the ability to use to continue to use your products well um very interesting so finally alex um just echoing uh, david cunliffe there are we lagging behind other countries on this uh, yes, we are. We are. We've also got to be a little bit careful because you see some country passing right to repair legislation, mm. and it might be incredibly narrow. For example, Colorado ended up passing this right to repair act, and all it did was for electric wheelchairs. So, oh, yeah, okay. right to repair <laughs> right. for electric wheelchairs. Okay, so, so we've got to get it right. Yes. It's fascinating. Yeah, Alex, kia ora. Thank you for your time. That's Alex Sims, there, Associate Professor in Commercial Law, raising the issue of, have you heard of it before, software locks. Uh, and says, uh, Alex says she's even seen chainsaws with embedded software, so you can't change it. So as you say, uh, David, I think the consumer is generally on the side, on side with this. Hey? What's with that when, you know, back in the day, your sunbeam mixer Used to go for three decades, but now your kettle goes for one year. <laughs> What's next? Your family car has to stop because there's a software lock on the engine. You know, so you throw the car away just yeah. to get a new lock. Yeah, yeah. Peter in Tawa says, I still have the same vacuum cleaner that I bought 31 years ago, and it's still going strong, and no problem with buying the bags for it either. It'll keep going until it gives up the ghost. You, the bags, I think I know the make actually. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, eight to five, the panel are at Sid National. I know the one. Jenny Giblin and David Cunliffe uh, with me this afternoon. Now, heritage has been quite the theme recently on the panel, RNZ National, specifically whether the cost is justifiable regarding 
the now $300 million plus cost to get the Wellington Town Hall up and running. This time, Tamaki Makaurau with the Super City's oldest building. Get this, it's been standing since 1855. But Auckland's Fitzroy Hotel could be razed to the ground in a matter of days. To explain, we have Alan Matson. He's a long-time heritage campaigner. He's taken these issues to court. He's also a Waitamata board member. Alan, kia ora, nice to have you on the panel. Good afternoon to you. You've Hello. come complete with your whole documents. You've you've set up a presentation for me with pictures galore. I'm even, I'm going to reach out. I've got this picture here. The, the great Fitzroy Hotel on the corner. I've got to say, can I be really blunt? You can't see past the detail that's now missing. It's not much to look at. It is a fine Georgian building. Oh, come on. It, it is. <laughs> look at it. It is. Well, it's a Category A, Category 1 building. Is it worth there, saving? Is there, it worth saving? Absolutely. Absolutely. And is it really 168 years old? It was built in 1854 by William Parker, great brickmaker. Uh, brickmaker. It was then owned by uh, Edward King and David Sheehan, who were on the Auckland um, Provincial Council. It was then bought by Richard Seacombe, who founded what became Lion Breweries. It then subsequently became the Wakefield Press, which published Baxter, Shadbelt, Kurnow, all those great poets, really? out of the basement. So really you are saying that this building here is a travesty and an outrage that the super city can't look after the small, innocuous building on a corner, painted blue. It should be fated. It should be lauded. Well, they they uh, f- failed to recognise it in the beginning and spent an awful lot of money um, establishing that it was such a highly valued building. Well, let's go around the panel and see what they've got to think of this. David, you may or may not have seen this uh, small hotel, the Fitzroy Hotel, 75 Wakefield Street in Auckland. I think I remember it, but it's... No, you won't, tr- David. It was it's closed in 1909. Oh, I didn't say I'd drunk in it, <laughs> but I probably walked past it. Yeah. Um, I might have drunk in it. That's how old I am. It was across the road from, from the Globe Hotel. Oh, uh, yes. So what's your take, David? Because it's been a really big issue in Wellington, of course. Yeah. Well, what, look, her- pri- what price heritage? Yeah, that's a really good question, and heritage is a tough issue because you just absolutely cannot please all the people all the time on this one. Um, Auckland can do with more of it. That's my controversial statement. It needs to protect its history of all cultures, and uh, this is part of it. Um, But there's a limited budget, Mm. so somebody who knows more about it than I do has got to go through and prioritise. What do you think, Jenny? You've got a building sitting here. It's the, as I understand it, the oldest building. Building. What's that? Oldest brick. Oldest brick building. Sorry, Alan. So 168 years old. It's extraordinary, and it could be gone within weeks. What do you think? Well, I think in general in New Zealand we can be really quick uh, when buildings haven't been maintained. We can be really quick to say, let's pull it down and um, and build again. And we are a young country and we do need to protect our heritage. So I would lean on the side of protection. But what I'm not clear of, Alan, is how do you propose, um, the, how would the building be used afterwards? So if, it, if there is investment into doing the building up, who, who owns it? How would you use it? What does that look like in terms of of going forward with the building once it's been restored. Okay, I've got a clear vision of that. Um, 
the, the building has developed cracks. A dangerous building notice has been put on it, which, which requires that the building be made safe. Either the owner will do that or the council will do it. It will make it safe either by demolishing it or by propping it. If it props it, the, the, the account is for the owner. So the owner is paying for this. So the council has a, a sizable... Um, at this stage, sizable built acquisition fund, and it's precisely for that purpose that that fund was created, and there is potentially a takeout, so council should prop it, the owner should sell it if they can't do the work, and, and it should be passed on. This this uh, fund has been used successfully in the past, and this is precisely what it's, what it's intended for. Can you come up to the mic uh, closer, Alan? So I can Certainly. See, other, other, oh, Alan, keep going, Jenny. So, so I was going to. So, so Alan, you're, you're saying there's a fund that the property owner can apply to and, and, and seek funding for this to be restored that sits within council. Is that what you're saying? No, the, the council has a fund to per, purchase buildings. It did so with a, a building right. in Airedale Street successfully, and it would purchase the building. It's got two choices: make it safe by demolishing it, or make it safe by propping it and giving the bill to the owner who, on the face of it, has not maintained the building. Well, there's a bit of history here. Someone says, uh, I'm making a doco about my famous granddad, who was a printer, and his press, Wakefield, opposite the Globe, was in there. Save it for us, Alan. Bob Lowry. Yeah, you, oh, you know your history. <laughs> wow. Okay, <it's, laughs> so what do we lose? What does the super city lose if we lose this little building that it, was made in... 1855. It's a, it's a rich tapestry of history that has taken place in that building over all these years. And it doesn't have to count, cost the council. And it doesn't, as someone says, David, it doesn't have to be Westminster Abbey. History can be little things. Absolutely. The little workers' cottages, mm. the uh, little storehouses, the wharf buildings, at least one or two, so we know where we come from. And all, all, all else fails, save the facade. No. Oh. Save the building. <laughs> Get into another chapter here, <laughs> right against the pips. Oh, my goodness, we might come back to it. Anyway, uh, David Cunliffe, Jenny Gibbon, thank you for your time. Alan Kiora, as always, I am Wallace Chapman, going out with some Peter, Paul and Mary. Great harmonies. Back tomorrow, 3.45, Checkpoint is next. <laughs>